Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin. This week, we are talking about the Giro d'Italia. The first Grand Tour of the year started on Saturday, runs for the next three weeks. So we will just be really focusing in on that. A little little late with this week's podcast, but I'm going to try to maybe bump it up to two a week so I can cover some some bigger events like tomorrow's uh, Summit Finish. So I'll try to do that the one weekly on Wednesdays and then sprinkle in a second one, a floating second one um, as things kind of heat up, especially in the GC battle. So far, we've had a time trial on stage one, won by Filippo Ghana, a sprint stage on stage two, won by Tim Tim Merlier. I, I swore it was Tim Merlier, but Tim Merlier is, I guess, how we're calling him. Supposed to be a sprint stage on stage three, won by Taco Van Horn with a great, great, great solo breakaway, breakaway win. Uh, summit finish on stage four, won by Joe Jombrowski, the American. Um, huge, huge win for him, the 29-year-old who's kind of been struggling to live up to expectations since he went pro at, with Team Sky nine years ago. And then today, another sprint stage in Emilia-Romagna region, won by Caleb Ewan um, in really fantastic fashion. Really impressive stage wins, stage win there. Um, kind of proving that if when he can get in a position, if he can get in a position, if his team can get him there, he can finish it off, um, especially if it's slightly uphill and a little chaotic, which it was today. But first, if you want to support the podcast, uh, sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free weekly edition. If you are enjoying the podcast, it's a no-brainer. Sign up for that right now at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's also a paid uh, daily during Grand Tours, twice weekly during non-Grand Tours. I break down every major race, um, do daily breakdowns for Grand Tours. So we're doing that over there for the Giro right now. Sign up for the premium list for that. Um, you'll find all that information at beyondthepeloton.substack.com, though. All right, well, I'll, I'm just going to work backwards because I just finished watching Stage 5, and that's what's freshest on my mind. Uh, Ewan just dominated in that bunch sprint. It was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, he really struggled on Stage 2. I called it Stage 1 in the newsletter. Apologies. I forgot about the time trial already. Um, Lotto, his Lotto team kind of struggled to get him into position on Stage 2. They were just like really, really, really tardy, uh, way too far back. You couldn't even sprint. But today on stage five, uh, they were really present and accounted for. They actually almost too far forward. They had to work backwards from like 3K. He was in second position with 2.5K to go, and then he had to kind of like wiggle back a few spots, but um, ended up working out. He he bumped with Tim Tim Merlier in the finish. Merlier's uh, chain came off his chain ring, and he couldn't sprint. I thought he was the fastest sprinter in the race, especially after stage two. He was flying in that thing. And Ewan just kind of like weaved his way through. Giacomo Nizzolo, uh, the Italian who's never won a Giro d'Italia stage win, but has 11 runner-ups, looked to have it in the bag. I mean, he was flying up the left side, but Ewan just caught him. Um, it was really impressive. I mean, he was weaving through really, really good sprinters. I mean, like Gaviria, Viviani, and Sagan were right on his wheel. And when he stepped on it, sort of weaving around, he it wasn't even close. He would just drop them, dropped them all. Um, they were about all equal with 50k, 50 meters to go, with Nizzolo way up the road. Flash forward to the finish line. Ewan is like showing Nizzolo a clean pair of wheels. He is a, basically a full bike length on him, which is a lot of ground to make up in that short of distance. And it was almost like he had like a five or ten meter gap on Sagan, Viviani and Gaviria. So he's just so much faster than those guys. I mean, it was really shocking to see. Um, I, I tend to forget how good Ewan is. I mean, he's kind of be, can be inconsistent. I think the inconsistency is just because his positioning isn't, it's not bulletproof. It's not like Mark Cavendish, who in his prime 
he was always there. So he'd rattle off like four, five, six stage wins in a row. Maybe, no, not literally, but it would feel like that. Um, he felt unbeatable, where Ewan feels so fallible because if he's not in the perfect position, which he's not a lot of the times, he can't win, which isn't, I mean, that's not unique, but just the fact that he's so often out of position is really, um, it's, it's kind of unique. It's kind of odd, but it makes me forget just how fast he is when he is. I mean, he, it looked today like you'd think, no, well, no one can beat this guy. And I mean, Sam Bennett would maybe be a better spinner. I mean, on, on paper, he is, he wins more. But if we remember stage three of the Tour de France last year, Ewan roasted him in, in, in almost the exact same sprint, like a carbon copy. So um, really, really, really looking good. Um, and he is going to the Tour de France this year to sprint. So uh, this is like a little, uh, a little taste of what, what we'll get there. Nizzolo, even though he doesn't win and he never wins at the Giro, he does go into the points jersey, which is um, pretty, pretty interesting. I'm curious if he'll try to defend that because of the points, the sprint competition, it's Nizzolo, Viviani, Merlier, I guess is what we're saying. It sounds so weird. Um, Ewan and then Sagan. Sagan really wants to win this, so he's going to be coming for Nizzolo. But I'll be interested to see if Nizzolo can, can defend that. I think Merlier, we've seen the last of him in that jersey. Um, he kind of fell out of, the, out of the top 10 today after dropping his chain, as is expected. And then we have a lot of stages that are not that conducive to sprinters. We have a mountain stage, and then it's like hilly, 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 hilly. It's, it's really Sagan territory coming up. So um, we'll be actually pretty interesting to watch that. The Giro, they've done a good job. I mean, there's one, two, three, four real flats. No, three real flat sprint stages, and then the rest are pretty tough. I mean, that stage, you get things like stage three where it looked like it'd be a sprint stage, and then it just ends up being a lot more interesting because of the climbs. There were sprinters there at the finish, but they were pretty toasted from those climbs, so they couldn't even sprint that fast, and then you get you know, these, these really out-of-left-field winners like Taco Vanderhorn. So um, no complaints on the route so far. It's been really good. And that opening time trial, I thought was very interesting. Um, it was super short, like eight or 9K long. So you'd think like, well, could you, could you really tell anything from that? I thought it did show us a lot. Um, Alexander Vlasov had a great TT and is the best place of the GC guys at the moment if we filter out just the noise. You know, if you, it's, that's why it's, it's confusing. You look at the GC picture right now. And it's these things, that, they're almost indecipherable. It's so, so, so full of, it's just like De, Alessandro DeMarchi's leading the race. But I mean, he'll be a non-factor probably after tomorrow, I would guess. And then the, the first real, I mean, the real guy that we'll even remember or we'll see anywhere on the GC top 20 by the end of the race is Alexander Vlasov in sixth place, a minute, almost a minute and a half down. So I've, in the newsletter, I've like filtered these results to kind of reflect the the riders I think are are relevant for the GC. I mean, I've left off like Roman Bardet, who's actually not that far down. Um, like Dan Martin, Roman Bardet, Danny Martinez, um, Pelo Bilbao, Nincenzo Nibali. I actually have Nibali in there. Mark Soler. I mean, these are really good riders, but I just don't think. I think at, at this point in their careers, they would have shown us the only the only real wild card would be Martinez, but he's here for for Bernal, um, and we'll get into Bernal in a second. So it's like. Dan Martin has shown us that he's just not a Grand Tour contender. Uh, it's actually shocking to me that he just keeps getting talked about. I mean, do you ha- like do people know how many minutes he would have to have to defend the lead on the final time trial? It's it's really silly how 
it's like this reality warp or like Pelo Bilbao. I mean, come on, Mark Soler, come on, he's not going to make it. Um, but so if we, if we kind of filter these GC results out, um, Vlasov had a great time trial, great time trial. Uh, I was actually really, really, really surprised by that. Um, Remco Ebenepoel, obviously great time trial. He was time trial runner up at Worlds, I believe in 2019, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so to, to be expected, uh, I'll get into the Remco, the Remco chat a little bit later. A lot of unknowns with him. Um, Hugh Carthy, really surprising, surprising time trial. Um, only 14 seconds behind Vlasov. Bernal, only 15 seconds behind Vlasov. To me, those are two interesting ones to watch there. Um, Simon Yates was up there with them. They were pretty much all finished on the same time in the TT. But Simon Yates dropped on stage four. Only lost 11 seconds, but that is a problem. I, actually, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff on yesterday's stage where Jacona Quickstep is is very in. You can tell they're all in for Rimko Evanepoel. I thought they would be all in for Joao Almeida, but what do I know? Obviously, I don't know anything because Joao, after a great time trial, probably the best time, the best time trial out of the GC guys, just really gets dropped. Just it got dropped hard yesterday. Um, like loses over five minutes by the finish. Totally out of the GC. I mean, now he's there to support Rimko. They're all in for Rimko. I thought this was crazy. I mean, they're telegraphing it on stage four. They were controlling the race uh, from quite a long ways out for reasons unknown to me. They, they had let the break get so much time, they couldn't pull it back to try to have Rimko win the stage and get pink, which if they were really serious about him winning the overall, they wouldn't do. It's way too early to take the lead. Evanepoel is so, so popular in Belgium. He's a Belgian rider. Um, the team is Belgium, Belgian. Um, cycling huge in Belgium and it feels like they're like caught up in the mania like he is such a big star he's so like the press is so excited about him the fans are so excited about him that the team is getting caught up in it which is a little uncharacter uncharacteristic for Tacona Quickstep I mean in my mind in my opinion they're so good because they're so surgical and dispassionate about everything you know they'll, they'll bring you know five or six riders to a race who can win you know it's like and it's very hard to mark them and they'll just say like sorry tom boonen you're a big star but um uh, nicky terpster's winning today because no one's watching him and he's gonna attack right now and he's gonna win um that's been their strength in my opinion in the past uh it's it's weird to see them just like telegraphing so much for remco i they're actually in I really didn't think there was any reason for them to work yesterday. I have no idea why they did it. They spent a lot of energy working. I guess if they're trying to win the stage, they should have started working earlier, done more work. If they're not trying to win the stage and Remco is really trying to go for the GC, they shouldn't have done anything. And they just should have followed wheels on that final climb because he gets distanced. Like they worked pretty hard. Um, Landa attacked. Poor Landa. Landa crashed out today. We lost our poor Landa. Um, he looked great. Great on stage four. Land attacks and Bernal goes with them. You know, it's the, the, to me, the riders that really stuck out there were Landa, Bernal, Carthy, and Vlasov. Um, Giulio Ciccone makes, makes that lead group, but I think it's only because he attacked earlier and had a buffer. So they caught him during their attack. I don't think he could have gone with them, but I could be wrong. I mean, we'll find out tomorrow. That's what's so fun about the Giro. You just have to wait a day and you'll know. I thought that was very, very weird. I mean, none of that made any sense. Um, did they really think they were going to put like Egan Bernal under pressure and drop him on that climb? 
I don't know. I thought I thought they waste a lot of energy. I didn't really understand their tactics. Um, Remco rode pretty well. He he didn't make that lead group, but he he looked to be the strongest rider that that didn't make it. Simon Yates was was really holding on for dear life in the Evanipol group. Not a great sign. Not a great sign at all. I'm I'm officially worried about Simon Yates because um, I have money on him. I thought for sure he's going to win this Giro. I mean, the main problem with with Remco is if. Like yesterday's summit finish, it was like short and punchy. That suits him. The I, it's unclear to me. I don't think anyone knows if he's good on long alpine climbs because we've never seen it before. So it seems like he shouldn't be getting dropped on those stages. And he that could mean he's going to struggle even more on these longer stages. Um, I'll get into that in a little bit more in depth in a second. But the main takeaways so far are that I think Bernal looks very good. Very, very good. Strongest rider in the race. Um, I, I think by by quite a bit. He that stage four summit finish yesterday did not suit him at all, really at all. Um, and he rode very well. I mean, that's actually a stage where he would struggle. I think if he wasn't riding that well, especially in the opening TT, that's another stage where nine kilometer time trial he can he can ride that really well if he's in shape, or he can ride it really poorly if he's not in shape. So so far those two big tests, he's looked good, and he looked very good yesterday. Um, Landa attacked. Was looked like he was flying, and he just bridged up to land it like it was no problem at all. Um, so I'm expecting. I don't think he'll go thermonuclear tomorrow, but I think he's. It's like actually, I love, I love how Bernal's racing this because he's just so under the radar. Um, and he was driving hard. Uh, there was like a little descent before the finish yesterday at the top of the climb, and he was just ripping that descent. Knew he had to wedge that the gap between himself and. Evanipol and Simon Yates as much as possible, and he looked really strong. He was the one driving at home in that group at the finish line, whereas like Carthy looked kind of like he was hanging on. Carthy always kind of looks like he doesn't know what's going on or where he is and doesn't have the best race awareness. Like he lost 30 seconds in the final stage of the Vuelta last year and almost fell off the podium because of it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that was like more of the same from Carthy in my opinion, but Bernal just looks so focused, so present, so confident, so strong. Uh, I, it's, it's actually, I, I, I really, really think that he's going to win this, um, but he has this bad back that just like flares up. So we really have no idea, but it's clear that Ineos is all in for him. Um, they, they had the pink jersey with Ghana and they just, they just kind of flip. They, I thought they would try to have him hold it through the first week, but they just burned him mid stage on stage four. Didn't even try to have him stay with the group. That's probably the smart decision. If Ghana's not going to win the overall you don't want the jersey longer than you need to have it. It's just a waste of energy. So yeah, just get rid of that thing. Uh, their B leader, Pavel Sivakov, crashed. They kind of crashed him. They like pushed him off the road. Uh, there's a, like a screenshot in the newsletter today showing it. It was very strange with 14K to go in today's stage. There's just like the, it was, it was tough racing because it was slow, but everything was bunched up. Um, it gets really, really nervous, really dangerous. Everyone wants to be at the front, but the pace isn't very high, so it's just kind of a glob of riders. And his teammates like weren't really paying attention, and they kind of drifted over and pushed him off, and it looked like he broke his collarbone. He looked really beat up. Um, I would be... He definitely he lost enough time that he's out of the GC. So they're all in for Bernal. It almost looked like they could lose him as a support rider, which would be significant. Um, he's a, a great, great, great domestique to have for Bernal. If they don't have him, that could be an issue. Riders who uh, I've been disappointed with, 
Domenico Pozzavivo lost a bunch of time yesterday after having a great opening time trial. So I was a little surprised by that. I thought, I mean, time trials are his worst discipline. So thought maybe he would be better on the climb after being so strong in that. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali, not as bad as I would have thought, especially since he is a broken wrist currently. Uh, but it's clear he's not going to win the race. Um, he was off the pace in both the time trial and the climb. Same with Jai Henley, second place last year, uh, has looked quite poor. And then my poor Emmanuel Bookman, who I put as one of my four riders I thought could win, he's looked worse than anyone, except Joao Almeida. Um, really not been good, really disappointing. So, I mean, so I'm going to say this. At this point, I think the race is between Vlasov, Remco Evenepoel, Egan Bernal, Simon Yates. Now, let me say this. I went back and looked at the 2020 Giro d'Italia. The first summit finish, uh, Mount Etna. Uh, eventual winner, Teo Gegenhardt, nowhere to be found. The guy is two minutes and 33 seconds behind the, the stage winner. Um, about a, a minute behind every other, no, a minute and a half behind, like Jakob Fulsang, Vincenzo Nibali. Uh, two minutes behind Wilco Kelderman, who got third eventually. And then Jai Henley, who got second, was also dropped on that stage. So, and, and what's crazy is I kind of went back through each stage. Teo Gegenhart was on stage 14. He is still three minutes and 44 seconds behind Joel Almeida, who's, who's leading the race. Still two and a half minutes behind Wilco Kelderman, who got third eventually. And Jai Henley, who would get second, is, is only 10 seconds front of him, three minutes and 33 seconds behind Joel. So, that's the only thing that makes the Giro so tough. I mean, the, the tour has such like a, it's almost like paint by numbers. You can really, the first summit finished, not much changes between that and the end of the race. It's really, it's kind of easy to predict who's going to win, especially once the race starts. Um, there's just not big swings. The Giro, especially last year, was just all over the place. I mean, so Teo Gegenhardt just chewed up time in the last seven stages. Um, he would go on to win stage 15, but even after that, he's still he's still three minutes behind Almeida and two and a half minutes behind Wilco Kelderman. <laughs> and he would go on, he just just every stage was just taking chunks of time and then won uh in the final time trial. So it it is hard to predict this. Uh it's a, it's actually a little bit silly to try to do this, but you know what it's fun. What else are we gonna do? So um I things I've been surprised by just, Surprised by to sum it up, Vlasov has looked very good. Um, good enough to make me question why I didn't put money on him. I was a huge, I was like president of the Vlasov fan club last year. And then he just totally crapped the bed at like every race he did after I came out in support of him and said, this guy's like the next star of the sport. Um, he might be just a year late. Uh, I mean, the time trial and the, the mix of the time trial and the climbing are really potent. I mean, that's how you win Grand Tours. It's no secret. You just are elite in time trials and climbing, and you are good enough in bike handling not to lose it on flat days or to crash. So uh, he could be tough to beat. I think Bernal is is good enough, though. I think Bernal could drop him. I think Bernal's really going to have a field day in the final the final week. I hope there's some left fight left in Simon Yates. Hugh Carthy's been been a pleasant surprise, better than I thought he would. I still think Hugh... I, actually, today, today is like today are days that I thought he would struggle on, but he made it through unscathed. He's not great on flat stages. He tends to get cut out or crashed, but 
uh, that time trial and that climbing look pretty good for him. So tomorrow is going to be a really interesting day to watch him. Um, and then, so let's get to Remco Evenepoel. This is the, the weirdest, the most interesting and weirdest storyline, in my opinion, in this race. Um, what the heck's going on with this guy? He hasn't raced in 266 days. Uh, he broke a pelvis. He like fell off a high bridge last year <laughs> in a race in August. Um, I thought he couldn't really train, I thought, until like March or April. I mean, that's like six weeks ago. Normally, to be as good as he is, you you need like months. You need, I mean, you need like almost eight months to prepare for a Grand Tour properly. You really want to be laying that foundation and that training you know, for the tour, you want to, you want to be hitting the ground running. The tour isn't like July. You want to really be training in like December for that. So I thought there's no way that he could have any impact on this race at all. Um, I was wrong. He looks good. I mean, he doesn't look, he looked a little uh, wobbly in that TT on some of the technical stuff, probably because he hasn't raced his bike in so long. Um, and he did get dropped yesterday on a, on a stage that should suit him. So it's not like he looks like he's going to win the overall, but um, I don't know what to make of this because, and he's not the only one who's, who's kind of st- stopped racing before major Grand Tour uh, goals. Primoz Roglic and Tade Bogachar have signaled they're not going to do the normal pre-tour races in June, which is a, it's a great idea because if you remember Primoz Roglic crashed in the Dauphiné last year, that's probably what costed him, cost him the overall win. Um, and everyone figured out with COVID, like, hey, I can train and just get as just prepared, if not better prepared, because I control everything. So it actually doesn't make a ton of sense. People, I think riders have started to see, for at least if it works for you personally, there's really no point to go to these, these warm-up races. It's kind of a silly tradition. It doesn't make a ton of sense, actually. Um, and this is coming from someone who I, I feel like I have to race to get in shape. Maybe I, maybe I don't. I mean, maybe I've been wrong about that the whole time. It is a little bit different if you're doing explosive races versus to get that race pace versus if you're going for GC to Grand Tour. I mean, you can replicate all of those efforts pretty accurately in training. And you can do it in much more comfortable conditions. You can do it at altitude. You can control everything when you're training instead of racing. So uh, the de- I feel like cycling is definitely going from... A, a racing sport to a training sport. And a lot of these warm-up races are going to die in the vine. I mean, we saw some real stinkers this spring, uh, like Catalonia and Romandy sucked. Let's be honest. Ineos was just dominating. Ineos was like the only team that thought to send anyone there. And even riders like Carthy, who were at Catalonia stinking it up, are now pretty good at this Euro. So it's like we, we've seen that even when riders are going, they're not taking it seriously. And to me, that's changed really quickly. Um, if you go back and look at Romandy, just a few years ago, it's being won by like Chris Froome and Primoz Roglic. You know, in years they're competing at the Tour de France. So this has happened very quickly. Um, if, if let's say Evenepoel does win the Giro, there's not a lot left to support the idea of of doing a training race uh, because that would be an absurd amount of time to take time off. I mean, even even Egan Bernal, he hasn't raced in 53 days before this race. So. You know, if he wins, that's that's kind of an interesting indictment of a race like Tour of the Alps, but Simon Yates did and looked incredible. Egan Bernal skipped it, and he looks better than Simon Yates so far. So, an interesting to keep, interesting thing to keep our our eye on. Um, other things about Evenepoel, uh, people talk about him like it's kind of a foregone conclusion that he's going to do well in in a a three week race and be on climbs. 
uh, we've we've seen him do neither. He's never raced a Grand Tour before, so his body has no idea how it's going to react. Um, I couldn't find any recorded example of a rider winning a Grand Tour in their first time riding a Grand Tour, except like the people who did the first Grand Tours before they existed, you know, when they were brand new. So that's that's not a great sign. And just doing climbs, I mean, like tomorrow is going to be one of the longest climbs he's ever raced at this level. Uh, so we don't really know if he's good at it. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying he's bad, but we just don't know. Um, so it's just, it's funny. It's kind of frustrating how he, it's talked about. It's like, well, of course he's going to be dominant. It's like, we have no idea. He has no idea. His team has no idea. Um, I mean, just if you look at it from numbers, he's a great time trialist and he's small. So it should work in theory, but we just don't know. I mean, it's a lot of these, like these mountain stages of the Giro are tough, tough, tough races. I mean, there's a lot, it's not a math problem. That's for sure. The tour tends to be, tends to be a bit more of a math problem than the Giro, which is, the Giro is definitely more of a, you have to be like an artist to win it versus like a mathematician wins, wins the tour. Um, he did win. I did find at the 2020 Tour of Burgos, he won a stage that finished on an 8.5 kilometer long uh, climb at 9% average. So pretty legit climb. But that Tour of Burgos is not, Volta Burgos is not a serious race. Uh, that's a small race. Um, so that's definitely not even at world tour level, uh, let alone a grand tour. And Spanish climbs are quite different from kind of the Alpine climbs. Uh, 2019 Romandy, that is in the Alps, undisputed Alpine climbs, and he really struggled against like Roglic and Garrett Thomas. But for, pre, for Remco, I think he's 21 now. So 2019, I mean, he was quite a bit of a different rider. So that's not even a great sample size either. Uh, we just don't know. It's bizarre. I don't know if I've ever been this blind about a guy going for a Grand Tour before. I mean, maybe Tade Pogachar at the 2019 Vuelta España, but even then, we'd seen we'd seen Pogachar do a little bit more. I mean, he we saw him at the Tour of California, which does have long, tough climbs and some pretty good competition. Uh, but yeah, I, this is a, he's like a total black box. I, I don't know. I've I've never quite seen this before it's very very strange um my intuition is he completely washes out uh after about the first week just because i think the longest he's ever raced is 10 days consecutively so i think he's gonna have a tough second week and then just really struggle through the third week that would be my guess uh, but he could easily prove me wrong he's one of the most talented riders i've ever seen um, people keep saying he's the most talented no 21-year-old's ever done what he's done. It's like, wait, Tade Pogacar won the Tour de France last year at 21 and is kind of the undisputed best rider in the world at 22 currently. So I don't know if I would say Rimko Evenepoel, who's never really won a big race. Um, he won San Sebastian. That's not a huge race. It's a significant race, though. It's in the World Tour. Um, yeah, not the best rider ever at 21. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, but that is how he's being covered at the moment. Um, I think it's a little crazy, but it is also crazy that I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. The guy just just disappeared for like a winter after breaking his pelvis, just showing up at his first Grand Tour. And he's like, yeah, I think I'll try to win this. And he's doing pretty well. So um, it's good. I, this is great. I was worried he'd be, I was worried this would just be kind of a wash of a year for him. He would just kind of be getting back into it. Uh, but if he can hang up there in the GC here, it it gives us really something to watch this year, and especially if Bernal doesn't fall apart, that's pretty compelling. Evan Apol versus Bernal, two 
kind of the yesterday's young star versus today's young star, I think could be really compelling. And you throw Vlasov in there. You throw Hugh Carthy in there. Let's hope Simon Yates has a resurgence. Um, and we got ourselves a race. We got ourselves a pretty good race. Uh, tomorrow, I'll just talk about it really quick. Uh, you're probably, you, this is, the race has probably already happened by the time you're listening to this. Tomorrow finishes on a, it's a fairly long climb, 15, uh, 15 kilometer climb, averaging 6%. That's not, that's not crazy hard. But the Apennines, this is in the Apennines, we're working our way south in Italy. Uh, they are, they're kind of tough, tougher climbs than they appear. You know, it's kind of like the Pyrenees where the roads are not as smooth as the Alps. The climbs are more uneven um, and people can get really cut out here. Uh, it's, it's tough. This is tough racing. So I think Bernal, I think Ineos kind of smells blood. They know Bernal's in great shape and they're, they're going to try to knock a few guys out. And they probably sense that Simon Yates is not having a great week. I think they're going to go for the juggler tomorrow. I think it's going to be a great climb. Great final climb, great race. Um, really interested to see how Remco Evenepoel does on this thing. And because so many guys like Bahrain lost Landa, he crashed out of the race today. You know, they have a strong team and they're just, I guess they're just going for breakaways now. Um, and think about Joe Jombrowski. I thought he was going to get uh, the race lead tomorrow, but he crashed, lost a bunch of time today. So, you know, he, I mean, if he's feeling okay, he could get in the breakaway. It could be a really strong breakaway now that we've already had so much separation in the GC. So, um, could be a breakaway day. I think that Ineos will peg it back and try to get Bernal the stage win. I don't think he can drop Vlasov enough, though, especially on a stage like today. I think Vlasov goes into pink. So that's my prediction for tomorrow. But depending on what happens, if tomorrow's super exciting, I'll jump back on and do another episode. And that would be the bonus episode this week. But thanks for listening. Get GCN, GCN Plus, GCN Race Pass. If you don't have it and you want to watch races and you're in the U.S., it is the best way to watch. Um, I'm, I don't have an affiliate agreement with them. Uh, it's, I just think they're great. It's, uh, I've kind of been waiting for a unified cycling app for a long time and they're as close as it comes. Um, obviously there's Tiz cycling, just Google Tiz cycling. If you want to watch free cycling, I did that for years. It's just not as stable. It can be frustrating. If you want to spend a little bit of money, GCN is the way to go. All right. Well, thanks for listening and have a great day.